Take your Bible with me, please, this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And before I jump into what I've got for you this morning, I want to give you a, a word of explanation and a little roadmap for uh, what's ahead for us this summer. Um, first of all, let me give you the roadmap part, and uh, that is that um, I intend to, in this Sunday, next Sunday, and probably the last Sunday in June, um, do a little follow-up series on uh, part of what we studied in the book of Ephesians. And so this little mini-series of two or three weeks is going to be a little different than my normal preaching style. Um, if you've been around here, you know that uh, we do expository preaching, meaning we preach through sections of, of, the, of the Bible, a paragraph at a time, usually a book at a time. And uh, that's our normal preaching ministry. Um, that's never going to change. But sometimes it's helpful to sort of camp down on a certain truth and uh, look at what the entire scriptures say about it. And so sometimes uh, we like to do that. We like to take a truth and sort of um, unpack what the Bible says about it in a more systematic way, which means going to other passages of scripture. And that's what I'll be doing today and next Sunday and probably the Sunday following that. I'll be taking one of the concepts that we learned in Ephesians and uh, unpacking it scripturally from other passages of scripture. Then in July, I, be t I intend to begin a series on the book of Genesis. And um, I think this little mini-series that I do will be a good setup for that as well. And so I think that uh, the things that I have for you the next couple of, next two or three Sundays will not only help us apply the book of Ephesians, or at least one part of it, a little bit, but it will also set us up for what uh, God wants us to learn when we look at Genesis together. So that's the end of my explanation for that. And uh, before we look at Ephesians chapter 6, I want to talk to you about surprises. Every now and then we read something that surprises us. We open the newspaper, we look at um, a news article um, on the internet, and uh, the, the um, information in there is surprising to us. Or we go to the mailbox and we open it up and we receive like a bill from like the gas company and the amount on it is surprising to us. Or sometimes our children bring home their report cards and we open them up and what is contained in there is surprising to us, all right? In those instances, we like good surprises, not bad surprises. But sometimes we're surprised by the things that we read. And as I have um, followed the Lord and learned his word, the more I've learned about the Bible, the more surprising certain things of it have become to me. As I, uh, and I think you'll find this to be the case as well, as you read through the scriptures and get familiar with what it says, you start to understand the, the big picture and you start to understand what every book of the Bible is about. But the more you read them, the more you start to notice things in them that you never saw before. And sometimes those things can be surprising, especially as you follow the Lord and understand his word. And then you see something that doesn't quite fit with what your understanding of the Bible is. That can be very surprising. And that's where I found myself a few weeks ago as I was studying this very simple, very basic, very familiar passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter six. So I want you to look with me again in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. The Bible says this, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first command with a promise. Now here's where the surprise comes for me. Verse 3, that it might go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I find that verse 3 really, really surprising. And it's surprising to me for a couple of reasons. One reason you probably don't care that much about. And um, that is because Paul does something kind of unusual here. He takes a promise that was given to Israel, 
A promise that if they obeyed their parents and honored their father and mother, and he applies that promise straight over to people like us in the church. That's pretty unusual in the New Testament. And if you ever take one of my Bible study courses, I'll talk about um, abstraction, and that's what Paul does. Paul abstracts the promise from Exodus because God said to the, uh, the Jewish people that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, meaning the land of Israel. Paul takes that and makes a generalization and says, not just long in the land of Israel, but you'll be live long on the earth. And so he applies this commandment right over to us in the New Testament, which is kind of an unusual thing that he does. But there's a greater reason why it's surprising to me. And uh, I think this is one that you'll probably connect with maybe a little bit better if you've been following the Lord for any time. And that is this. Paul says in verse 3 that the promise of God to those who honor their parents is a long life on this earth. Does that surprise you at all? Because Paul always is holding out motivation for us to follow the Lord. And the New Testament is always telling us what the benefits and results are of obeying God. But usually those benefits and results are promised to us in the eternal life. That is, when we leave this earth and go to heaven or when the kingdom of God comes to earth, that's usually when we expect to receive the promises that God gave. But in this section, Paul says, if you honor your father and mother, God's promise to us is not about what's going to happen in heaven. It's not about what's going to happen when Jesus reigns on this earth in the kingdom. God's promise, the benefit of honoring your parents, is long life on this earth. And if you understand Paul and think about the things that he said, that should be surprising to you. Because Paul's orientation, the, the author of this book, and um, the, the man who was responsible for spreading the gospel to the Gentiles, a man who prayed, paid a tremendous price in order to see the gospel spread, his orientation again and again and again was that it's better to leave this earth early and go to be with God. Let me show you some passages where he says exactly this. In Philippians 1.23, he says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. And then he goes on and says, but it's also necessary for me to remain with you. What's he saying? He's saying, my desire really is to be with Christ. He said, I would rather leave this earth now and spend eternity with Christ than to continue living in this world. And part of that, of course, was because of the tremendous persecution that Paul faced in his life. When he wrote these words, he was in prison. And yet Paul was not depressed when he wrote this. He wasn't writing out of some depression and some desire to see his misery ended. In fact, if you read Philippians chapter 1, you'll see that he had every expectation that he was soon to be released from prison. And yet, even though he's looking forward to and believing that he is about to be released from prison, he says, you know, I'd still rather go and be with Christ. And so someone who says, I'd rather be with Christ, also says the promise is long life on the earth. There, to me, is a tension there. There's a surprise that Paul would say, it's better to be with Christ, but if you obey your parents, you'll live a long time in this earth. Here's another passage where it's, he's even more specific. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8, through 8, Paul says this, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here again, Paul is saying, 
my preference in life would be to leave this earth and be with Christ. And so here the same man who says, I would prefer to be with, at home with the Lord, also says, if you obey your parents, you'll live a long time in this earth. And so to me, there's a tension, there's, a, there's a, a question that is generated by Paul's desire to be with Christ, but also his promise that if you um, obey your parents and honor your parents, you'll live a long time in this earth. Now, maybe it's just Paul, maybe it's just him, maybe he has suffered so much um, and, and has seen the Lord um, in a way that none of us has, that uh, he is expressing his own personal desire. Well, that could be the case until you look at a passage like this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, which says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Here Paul takes what he says about himself and he applies it to us. And he says, our lifestyle, our life, our future is in heaven. And he says that's where our affections, our, our desires ought to be. That we ought not to live for this earth, but we ought to live for eternity. And we know this. And so why, the question is, does Paul say it's better to be with Christ and we should live for eternity and also say the benefit, the promise of obeying and honoring your parents is a long life on this earth? Right? That's the question that I want to take three weeks to answer because it's an important question. It's a question that really frames our ideas about why we live on this earth and why God left us on this earth and how we can live on this earth in a way that is for eternity and yet um, enjoys, in a sense, the time that we have in this life. And so uh, I want to take some time to talk about why we should want to live a long time on this earth if we understand how to live biblically. And so... Um, I'm going to take some time the next couple of Sundays, probably the next three Sundays, um, if you include today, to, to begin answering that question. Today I have just the beginning of an answer for you, and uh, there are two reasons. There are two reasons why we should desire to live a long time on this earth, even though it is better to be with Christ. The first reason is this, that we should desire to live a long time on this earth because God created this earth, and God created it for his glory. You see, there is nothing really about living on this earth that is in conflict with living for the glory of God because this earth was created by God and it exists for his glory. Here's a, a passage that says this very, very specifically, Revelation 4.11. This is what the elders and, and, and saints in heaven this is what they say to God on a regular basis. They say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What are they saying? They're saying, God, we worship you because you created everything. And what they are saying is that the created realm that God made, meaning this earth that we live on, these bodies that we live in, this society that we live in, this uh, created realm that we're going to study when we get to Genesis chapter 1, all of this came from God. And because it came from God, God deserves glory and honor and praise and worship for it. And so we should desire to live a long time on this earth because this earth was created by the God we worship and serve. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yes, God created this world, and it was perfect when he created it. And if it had stayed perfect, of course we'd want to live here forever. But we fell into sin. And so how does the fall of man and the changes that happen not only in the human race, but in the world around us as well, how does the fall into sin impact the fact that God created this world and that he created it for his glory? Well, here's what the Bible says about that, that even though we are fallen, and even though this world has been corrupted by our sin, that corruption does not completely eclipse God's glory. In fact, it doesn't eclipse it at all. In Psalm 19, the author, the psalmist says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. This is, was written by someone who was after the fall, and he was describing the world after the fall. And he says, even though this world is fallen, the created realm still cries forth the praises of God. And so every time you watch a beautiful sunset or every time God provides rain to water your plants and and water your grass and take care of your garden or every time you uh, go to the mountains and and, and witness the beauty of God, the Bible says all of those things are testifying to you, to me, and to everyone who doesn't know God the greatness and the grandeur and the glory and the power of our God. So even though this world has fallen and we have hurricanes because of the fall and we have disasters like tornadoes because of the fall and uh, this, this, this world has uh, all kinds of very, very um, difficult things that happen to it in the natural realm because of the fall, the Bible says this world still glorifies God and every single day it testifies to the greatness and glory of our God. It also testifies to the greatness and glory of God, not only to us who know the Lord, but also to the people of, of, of this world who don't know the Lord, who, in fact, who have never heard of the Lord. I'm going to read to you in a moment a passage from Acts, where Paul um, is, is telling some, some people who have not heard of Christ about the gospel. And notice how he draws in the creation as a witness to the glory of God. He says in Acts chapter 4, verse 15 and verse 17, he says, We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. He has shown kindness to you by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. This means that even people who don't know the Lord still benefit from the grace of God in creation. And if you can remember what your life was like before you became a Christian, you will remember the, um, the guilt of your sin, probably. You will remember the sorrow over some of the things that you did that were displeasing to God. But you should remember some of the times in your life when you felt happiness and when you felt joy. Where did those things come from? The Bible said they came from the good hand of our Creator, God. Even people who don't know the Lord are testified to his greatness and glory, not only by the world he created, but by the normal human joys that even unregenerate people know. Paul says that those things testify to the greatness and glory of God. And so what I want you to understand is this. 
that although this world is in a fallen state, and the Bible says that the world, the nature itself, cries out for the redemption that will come when Jesus' kingdom comes. And even though we look forward to the day when we will be with Christ, seeing him face to face and living in a perfected world, even though all of those things are true, it is also true that God created this world for his glory and it is still possible to glorify God during our time on this earth. And because we can glorify God even in a fallen world, we should desire to live a long time if we desire to live to the glory of God. Now here's where it becomes difficult. Because as I said, this world was created to glorify God, and then we fell into sin. And when we fell into sin, we messed it up in a lot of ways. We messed it up the natural world, as well as uh, human society and morality. And so what we need to understand is that the fall affected this world in a profound way. And the key to understanding how to live for God's glory in this world is to understand what happened in the fall and what God has done to reverse that. All right, and so let me unpack that for you by taking you to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, especially verses 20 and 21 and verse 25, Paul begins to talk about how creation fits within a Christian understanding of the world. And here's what he says. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And how have they been seen? They have been understood from what was made, so that men are without excuse. And so he says, this created world testifies, even to people who reject God, of the greatness and power and glory of our God. But notice this. Here's, how, here's what, what sinful people have done with that creation. The passage goes on to say this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. When the fall came into this world, it's not that this world stopped glorifying God, it's that we as fallen people began to misinterpret deliberately what this world was telling us about God. And that means before you knew Christ, or your unsaved neighbor, or your unsaved family members. And even though they may question the existence of God, and they may push back on your attempt to talk to them about Jesus, the Bible says creation screams to them every single day that God exists, and that he is powerful, and that they are accountable to him. But even though the creation is constantly preaching that to them, the Bible says they suppress that truth. They reject it. They deny it like, like a child, you know, covering his ears saying, la, 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 I'm not listening to you, mommy. That's what the unsaved world does. And that's what you and I did when we looked at the creation of the world and denied the God who created it all. And so the reason why um, this world is, is hard to live in for the glory of God is that our depravity, our sinful nature resists the idea that God exists, because we know that if God exists, then we must submit to him, and we all desire to go our own way. And the last part of this verse tells us exactly how we do that. Notice after the uh, ellipsis there, it says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That last phrase tells us exactly how people have treated God in this world. 
And it's something that you and I did before we knew Christ, and it's something that we still are tempted by in this world, and that is this. To look at what God has created and the enjoyment that comes from the creation and worship that instead of worshiping the God who created it. Here's what I mean. You know, as well as I do, that in some societies in our culture, but in a lot of societies in ages past, people created, they carved idols, and they bowed down and worshiped to them. All right, that's one way that people served created things rather than the creator. There are societies that have worshipped the sun or worshipped the moon or uh, worshipped uh, trees or whatever. They worshipped nature itself. That's another way of worshipping the created thing rather than the creator. But in our society, we don't have too many people who carve an idol and then bow down and worship to it. But people in our society are still guilty of worshipping the creation rather than the creator. And here's how we do it. We start to look at material things and we say, you know what, if I could just have my dream home, then I would be happy. And having a, having a home that, that, that isn't a place that we want and, and, and has a beautiful landscape and has the exact amount of floor space and all the rooms that we want, that becomes an object of worship in our life. We begin to live our life to achieve or or, or receive that goal. Or we decide, you know what, I, I, I'm living my life now, but what I really care about is golf. And, uh, and I, I, I want to retire early so I can spend all of my days on the golf course. And we spend time uh, you know, working on our drive and, and, and perfecting our putts. And, and all of our time is thought of, is, 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 is goes to thinking about becoming a better golfer. And we subscribe to golf magazines and we watch the golf channel. And, and that becomes an object of worship in this life. Or some people focus in on their physical body and they worship food. They love the, the pleasure that good food brings to them when they taste it. And so the, their entire orientation is about eating the very best tasting food and enjoying what this life has to offer. Or they um, get a taste of the, um, the thrill of sexuality and the idea of getting as much uh, sex as possible. And, 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 and receiving the pleasure that comes from sex becomes an object of worship in life. And I could go on and on and on talking about relationships or hobbies or material things or even uh, service or even your career. All of these things become substitute gods. And the problem with living in a fallen world is not that we live a long time and, uh, and, and we can't live for God. The problem is that we have an orientation because of our sin nature to start worshiping what God created instead of the God who created it all. And that's why it's hard for us to live to the glory of God in this world. For people who don't know Jesus, it's impossible. They can't live for the glory of God. They're going to choose some kind of idol and they're going to spend their life in pursuit and worship of that thing. But even for us who know Jesus, this is something that we struggle with, the desire to worship, but we, we, we send our worship and channel our energy in creative things rather than the creator himself. And so that brings us to the second reason why we should want to live a long time in this earth as a result of that promise of God. The first reason, of course, was that God created this world for his glory and it can still glorify him. The second reason is this, that God redeemed us in Christ so that we would live for his glory in this world. Why should we want to live a long time 
And, and, and why does Paul hold that out as a promise for us if we obey and honor our parents? It's because of this. The longer we live in this world, the more opportunities we have to live for the glory of God. And in fact, if you read the New Testament, you will see that part of the reason God saved you and me and left us here on this earth is so that we can live out our days for the glory of God. Let me show you some passages that say exactly this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, And he died for all. This is about the crucifixion of Christ. Christ died for us. Why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves. That is living to serve the creature. That is worshiping the created thing, living for yourselves. Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Why should we want to live a long time on this earth? Because God redeemed us from worshiping and serving the created thing. And our desire ought to be to live out the remainder of our time on this earth for the God who redeemed us from our sin. And the longer we have on this earth, the more time we have to live for the glory of God. That's what this passage is telling us. Here's another one that talks specifically about the way we use our body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Why? Because he is in you, who is in you, and whom you have received from God. Paul says your body, when you became a Christian, became the dwelling place of God because God sent his Spirit to live with you. And then he goes on to say this, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is even more specific than the previous verse that says we should glorify God with our lives. It says not only should we glorify God with our lives, but we should glorify God with our physical bodies. That is that the things that we do and the things that we say and the places we go and the entertainment we um, enter into and the things that we choose to do with our time and energy, and the way we spend our lives in retirement, all of those things involve the use of the body. And the Bible says God redeemed that body. He saved your body so that you can serve Him with it. And because God gave you a body to serve Him, living a long time on this earth gives you more and more opportunities to use your body for the glory of God. And so why does Paul hold this out as a promise to us? That if we obey and honor our parents, we will live a long time in this earth. He holds it out as a promise to us because he knows that the longer we live on this earth, the more glory we can give to God as we surrender our lives and our bodies to him and worship him instead of the created things. Now, what I want to do in the rest of this message is get really specific about one area of the way that we serve God. This is not the only way we serve God with our bodies. I'll talk about some others in the coming weeks. But here's one way, and it's a way that I think Christians get really confused about. Because again, as I was growing up in this world, and growing up as a Christian in a Christian family, um, the idea of having human goals was a very confusing thing to me. I knew I wanted to glorify God with my life. But I wondered if there wasn't something unspiritual about also wanting to achieve some goals with my life. Was it unspiritual for me to want to find a woman and marry her? 
Was it unspiritual for me to enjoy uh, certain foods or to enjoy vacation or to enjoy um, some, kinds, some kinds of entertainment? In other words, a lot of Christians, and this is something I've struggled with in my own life, struggle with the idea that I'm here to live for God, okay, but shouldn't, doesn't that mean I should spend every moment doing something that is specifically Christian? You ever thought this? You ever thought about this? I heard this, uh, this also um, expressed in the words of the wife of a Christian leader. Um, there's a man who is a well-known Christian leader in America, and um, his wife had written a book about their ministry, about his ministry, and um, in the middle of that, she talked about how they, when they were a young couple, they just kind of lived pedal to the metal for this ministry that they were starting, that their entire lives were consumed with living for this ministry. And um, as her husband especially got more and more involved in the ministry, um, she began to have children, and she began to therefore be at home with the children, and she began to struggle with the idea that she was doing these mundane things in life, and how does that bring glory to God? And her specific example was this. She really, really wanted to get a dog. She had always wanted a dog, but she said in this book how she struggled with the idea that, that, that buying a dog and having the pleasure of walking the dog and, and, and playing ball with the dog those things didn't seem like they fit with a Christian worldview to her. She couldn't see how enjoying having a pet fit with the idea that she was to live her life for the glory of God. And so what I want to talk about today for the rest of this message is about those kind of mundane things. The food that we eat, the place that we live, the job that we go to, the pets that we have, our children, our spouse, the very mundane decisions of life. What are they about? Are they just about sustaining life so that we can glorify God, or can they be lived to the glory of God? And I want to suggest to you, and I want to show you from the Scriptures, it's going to be more than a suggestion, all right? And I want to show you from the Scriptures that even the mundane things that you do in this world can be done for the glory of God if you have the right worship orientation about them. All right, let me show you the passage of Scripture um, that, that I think teaches us the clearest. And before I do that, let me set it up, all right? Throughout the Christian world and throughout Christian history, there has always been this tension that I've been talking about. And later on, after the New Testament era, um, like a few decades after um, all of the apostles had died and so forth, there arose a heresy called Gnosticism. And uh, we'll see some of the pre-elements of Gnosticism when we study Colossians this fall. But this, this idea of Gnosticism had one component in it that said this, the body is evil and the spirit is good. And so nothing the body does can ever glorify God. Now, while I've never met a true Gnostic, there are Gnostic ideas that still live in the Christian world. And the idea that you can't have a dog and glorify God or the idea that um, any entertainment can't bring glory to God, these are all Gnostic ideas. Why? Because they make a divide between the body or life on this earth and the spirit. And that is an unnatural divide. And Paul warned in the Bible, as I'm going to show you in a moment, that people would come preaching these things, preaching a kind of very spare, ascetic life. And Paul says, that is heresy. Now notice with me this passage, 1 Timothy 4, 3-5. This is talking about the heresies that's going to come. He says this, These heretics forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. By whom? By those who believe and know the truth. What is this saying? 
Paul is saying that the very basic things of life, like finding a life partner and getting married, or enjoying certain kinds of foods, that those who have been redeemed by God can enjoy these pleasures for the glory of God because we know that God created them for our pleasure. He goes on and says this, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Now what is Paul saying here? He is saying this. He is saying it is a false idea of the Christian life to think that the food that I eat or my relationship with my wife or the uh, pleasure that I get from my children when they're obedient or the um, joy that I get from a hobby or the entertainment that I consume. It is wrong to say that those things are unspiritual or inherently evil because God created all of them. And because God created all of them, they can be enjoyed by those of us who know God for his glory. And so the Bible says living in this world, and we should want to live a long time in this world, just so that we can enjoy to the glory of God the things that he has created. Now, how does this work? How do we live for the glory of God in just these mundane practices of life? It's all right here in this passage. Notice how often thanksgiving is mentioned in this passage. Look again with me. It says, They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now drop down to uh, the, the four lines from the bottom. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. What Paul is pointing out here, and what you and I need to understand if we are going to live the mundane parts of our lives for the glory of God is this. That there is a way of living in this world that says, food is my God, sex is my God, my relationship with someone else is my God, my career is my God. Those are ways of living in this world that are sinful rejections of the Creator God. But for those of us who have been redeemed by God, we can live through all of those avenues to the glory of God if one thing happens, that when we enjoy a beautiful sunset, we not only say, what a beautiful day, we say, thank you, God, for the joy that comes from the beauty of your creation. We can live to the glory of God when we see our children do something right, we see them do something kind, and that brings joy to our hearts. And instead of just saying, yes, my son is special, we say, God, thank you for the the glory and and the joy of knowing that my children are understanding what is right. There's a way of living in this world for things, worshiping them, and there is a way of enjoying things in this world for the glory of God. And all of it has to do with whether or not the thing that you enjoy in this life draws your heart to worship, or whether you view it as an end in itself. The Bible says if we are going to live to the glory of God in the mundane things of this world, we should indulge and we should enjoy the things of this world with a heart that is thankful to the God who created them for his glory and for our good. And So that means just the, the, the very basic things of life, like a great meal, is not only time to enjoy the taste and thank the person who, who cooked it, but also to return thanks to God and say, God, thank you for creating this wonderful food that we can enjoy as your people. 
that uh, when we um, have a loving relationship with a spouse, and that relationship grows, and, and we enjoy the, uh, the, the, the joy that comes from, from growing old together, that we not only say um, and tell that person we love them and we appreciate them, but we give thanks to God saying, thank you for my wonderful husband or my wonderful wife. That uh, when we live in this world and then we enjoy a beautiful sunset, we enjoy a perfect vacation, that we not only receive the joy that, that, that comes from that, but we return thanks to God and say, God, you created that sunset. And thank you for the opportunity that I have right now just to take time away and enjoy it. I give you glory for it. That uh, when you're deeply involved in a conversation with a close friend and you feel the joy that comes from that kind of communication with someone that you know, that you don't just say, man, we need to get together more often and talk, but you say thanks to God for creating friendship, for the joy that comes from it. When you watch your children grow and, and you uh, take joy in their accomplishments, we glorify God by saying, God, thank you for the gifts that you have instilled in my children, and thank you for the grace that you've given me to help them to follow the Lord and return thanks to God for that. When we go, you go on a long walk on a beautiful day, or you're outside on a day like we've had a few this week where the temperature is just right, it's not so humid, it's not raining yet, things are, you know, the sun is out, do you say, man, what a beautiful day? Or do you say, God, thank you for the beautiful day that we can enjoy together today? Every one of these, everything in life gives us the opportunity to glorify God if we view them and they draw our hearts to worship instead of causing us to worship them, the created thing, instead of the creator God. And so when Paul says, why is it a promise that you might live long on this earth? The answer that we ought to give, part of our answer, not the whole answer, but part of our answer is this, that we should desire a long life on this earth because a long life on this earth gives us a greater opportunity to glorify God even in the mundane things of life.